Uh, my name is Johnny. I'm the campus pastor here at the Bridge. I am uh, so glad to see you here joining us today uh, for Easter. Thank you, Sean. Uh, and I'm just so grateful to the worship team here uh, for, I mean, the hours of hard work. Uh, this stuff doesn't just, you know, happen. And so I'm really grateful to Sean and the team, the volunteers, who you don't see up there in the booth. If you're watching online, they're the reason you're watching online. So it's just great to have so many uh, wonderful volunteers and great to see you all behind your masks maybe, but to see you here this morning uh, for Easter. Uh, before I get going, I just want to draw your attention to these walls by the Welcome Center. Uh, the students uh, throughout Lent chose some words that they were going to be reflecting on, that they were going to be moving toward, I think is kind of how John uh, talked about it. And then they picked four of those words and they made these Jackson Pollock uh, paintings. Some people call them splatter. That doesn't sound fancy enough. Our students are artists, okay? So they made these Jackson Pollocks kind of based on those. And then on the other side uh, is our Easter Together, you know, graphic logo. And they colored in some words around that that are just kind of trying to uh, bring our attention to what it means to be doing Easter together. Again, it's been a crazy year and it's still some craziness ongoing, but it's beautiful to be together with you uh, today. So I have... Um, I have four kids, and my son Asher is eight years old, uh, and he loves, uh, like, science experiments. And he will just, he'll make up science experiments just for the sake of doing, like, what happens if I mix every chemical under the sink together, you know? Uh, we don't let him do that. I'm just kidding. But he loves doing science experiments. He loves to discover. Uh, and so I brought home some avocados from the grocery store uh, once, and, and I offhandedly said, I saw online you could grow an avocado tree, you know, from a... Uh, from a, a seed. <clears throat> and he was like, immediately like, we're doing that. We got to do that. <clears throat> so we went online and we looked up, how do you do, you know, that? How do you grow a tree? Uh, you need toothpicks and water. Uh, and it's a process. So we, we went through the process and we got the toothpicks and we put it all there. And then uh, he was just so dedicated to, to tending to the seed. So he was getting the water and changing out the water. And he was every day going to see what's happening with the seed. And uh, we, we waited a week we waited two weeks, and I started Googling, how long is this supposed to take? Uh, and we waited three weeks. And then, around the three-week mark, uh, instead of a tree, the, the pit started to grow quite a bit of mold. Um, and I got this sinking feeling that there was no tree in our future, you know, uh, that this seed was probably kind of done for. Uh, and I expressed this, expressed this concern to Asher, and he was undeterred. He was like, it's all part of the process, Dad. And he just kept on keeping on. He kept on keeping on. It was clear, really, to me and to the, everyone around us uh, that we were not going to be avocado farmers. But he just kept on tending to this thing, despite the fact that it looked very, very dead. So it's probably an obvious thing to say, but uh, I love being here with you all on Easter morning. Easter is, is one of my favorite holidays, not, and I'm not talking just church holidays. It's one of my favorite holidays. And it's not just because we have, you know, the big services and the music and the people. It's really because Easter is at the core of who we are as the people of God. Our, our entire faith identity hinges on what happened on that first Easter. This story defines who we are. Easter is the day we celebrate that the whole world is different because of what Jesus accomplished when he walked out of the tomb. We declare that sin and shame and death have no power over us anymore because of the love and the grace and the sacrifice of God on behalf of the world. That's exciting news. The Bible calls that the good news. I might say it's even the best news. It's exciting. Some, my uh, favorite theologian, N.T. Wright, says that we are Easter 
people, that we who, who follow Jesus are Easter people, and that's why we tell and retell this story year after year after year. It's ingrained in our identity. I think of it like you watch the same movies. Maybe every Christmas you watch uh, It's a Wonderful Life, and you already know what happens, right? But we watch it again and again and again because there's, there's comfort in that story. It tells us something about who we are and about the season, and that's what Easter does for us and the story that we tell and we retell every year. And so, for Easter, what I like to do is I like to read the Easter story through each of the Gospels. There's four different versions of Easter in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I like to read through them. And every year, I find myself struck by the subtle differences in the stories. Like, in some stories, there's one woman who comes to the tomb. In some stories, there's two. and some, there's three. There's an, one angel. Sometimes there's two angels. You know, there's different, like, the order of things gets changed up. And that doesn't bother me. For some people, I know that's like a hard, like, wow, why are they different? Well, because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all wrote the stories like 30 years after they happened. And after that much time, right, you remember things a little bit differently. So it doesn't bother me. What I really think is interesting is the things that are the same. So in every story, obviously, Jesus rises. In every story, the stone is rolled away. In every story, right, there's the, the angel. But there's also in every story this reality that it's women who are going to care for the body of Jesus, who discover the resurrection. They are the ones in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John who go to take care of the body of Jesus, and they make the discovery that uh, he is not there. Why seek ye the living among the dead? So today I just want to read quickly. Uh, we heard from the book of John with the video, which is beautiful. I want to read quickly Mark's account. It's only eight verses. It's the shortest one, but I want to read it together. This is Mark chapter 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So like I said, Mark's telling of the narrative is very short, but he gives us some important details. And right at the beginning, Mark outlines the reason that the women have gone to the tomb. This detail doesn't occur in all of the Gospels. The fact that they're going appears, but not this detail about why. And Mark tells us that they've gone to anoint the body of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but to my ears, that sounds like kind of a fancy thing to go and do, to anoint the body of Jesus. But in reality, uh, it's not really very fancy. The entire process is just to stop uh, the terrible smell that happens when a body decomposes. Happy Easter, okay? Think about that as you're eating your ham and turkey today, okay? Uh, so they go to anoint the body of Jesus. They have like 75 pounds of spices and oils and all this different kind of stuff. And they're going to do it because it stinks. Uh, they're not six feet under in a casket. It's in this tomb, and they want to mitigate the smell that's coming out of this. And so they're going to do this work. And they're going 
with every expectation to find a dead body. Mark gives us no indication, none of the Gospels give us any indication that these women have gone with the expectation of anything except for finding a dead body. In fact, their conversation is around how are we going to get that big stone out of the way so we can get to the dead body. That's what they're thinking about. That's where their expectation lies. That is what they came to do. And I think in a lot of ways that feels like the least important detail of the story. Like all the drama comes after that point, right? Like the women are going down, okay, that's like the setup to the punchline. Because the punchline is they don't find anything. They find an angel. His clothes are like lightning. It's very dramatic. Don't be afraid. In one of the stories, the guard has passed out because he's so afraid of this angel. It's all this drama. And yet at the beginning is this little detail that seems very unimportant. But the more I, I thought about this detail throughout the week, the more I thought maybe it's more important than we think. Because this detail is kind of the first that we're seeing these followers of Jesus showing up after the death. In in the book of Mark, the last time we see any of Jesus' 12 disciples, those guys who were with Jesus, they were like the core group, the last time we saw any of them in the book of Mark, uh, Peter was denying Jesus three times. And then the disciples just ghost. They're just gone. They walk out of the narrative uh, not to be seen again, really, in the book of Mark, because it ends at verse 8, right? And so uh, this story uh, with these women is, marks the first point where we're seeing these followers of Jesus showing back up. But it's not the 12. They've gone into hiding. They've gone underground. They don't want what happened to Jesus to happen to them, and so they've gone and fled. But these women are showing up. And so I think what, what strikes me is that the situation for those people who have followed Jesus is hopeless. The situation, like the video at the beginning of service said, is filled with despair. The whole thing feels worthless. The whole situation seems like the movement is over. And the question becomes, how do you keep the faith in a moment and a situation like that? What in the world does faithfulness to Jesus look like now that Jesus has died? What happens when everything you've staked your life and reputation and future on falls apart? And what these women do is demonstrate an act of faithfulness. They had followed Jesus and dedicated their lives to Jesus alongside these disciples. And even when hope was lost, even when the whole thing on paper looked absolutely like it was over, even when they expected to find a dead body, they expressed their faithfulness to Jesus by going to care for something that they believed and expected to be dead. That's how they expressed faithfulness. So I was talking to a friend of mine this week, and uh, he planted some uh, vines, some grapes. He wants to make some wine of his, of his very own. That's his goal. And so five years ago, he planted uh, the seeds, and he built the trellises and all this stuff. And year one, you don't grow very many grapes. It's like they're just getting started, so year one's kind of a wash. Year two, he's like, this is it. I'm going to get some grapes. And year two, uh, he got bugs instead, and then the bugs ate his grapes, and he didn't get very many grapes. And he's like, okay, you're three, I got my pesticides, I'm ready to go. And uh, then there was a late frost uh, after his grapes had started to grow, and apparently grapes are not a sturdy uh, crop, and they just died, so no grapes that year. So year four, this is it, man. And then he got raccoons. Every year, 
this man had a blight take his crop. It's almost biblical. It's like the book of Job. I'm sorry if you're watching. You know, I said that, but right, it's like what it's like. When I'm talking to him on the phone, he tells me, yeah, I'm excited. I went out and I got my vines ready for this year's crop. Even though he's faced a situation where it looks like his dream is dead, he cannot get any grapes, he still plants. He still reaps. He still goes out and takes care of the thing. He makes new plans for this dream that really, after five years, looks dead. So we know what happens when the women arrive at the tomb. The stone is already gone. The angel is there. They hear the good news. And these women become the first hearers and the first proclaimers of the resurrection of Jesus. That's, a, that's an incredible thing. Like, these women were there and received the message that really everything about history, everything about the world has changed. They're the first people to receive that. And then they are tasked with the message of getting that out. What a moment of joy they must have experienced. I know it says they're terrified, right? But through that terror, as they realize that what just happened to them really happened, it gives way to this joy, this excitement, this enthusiasm. They cannot believe it. What they discovered when they faithfully attended to that which they expected to be dead was that with God, there can always be resurrection. So um, as, I, as I look out here into this room uh, and see all of these masks, and my masks are in the back, um, I, I just, it's a great morning, and it's a morning of hope, but I still, we're just living in this reality that it has been a weird and a hard year. It's been a strange 12 months. And I think, I might even go so far as to say I know that every person in this room over the course of this year has had something in their life that has started to look and feel very dead. Maybe it's a relationship that you have that has withered away. Maybe some of you have felt your optimism, just, just your sunny disposition, kind of start to fade and to melt away in the difficulties of this year. I know that there are people here and people watching online who literally lost someone this year. And when they lost that person, they also lost a part of themselves. They felt like their hope and their meaning and their belonging has died with their loved one who passed away. It can be hopeless. I think this past year has also introduced us to hopelessness on a much larger scale. We've been uh, brought into this realization of maybe the systemic injustices that are around us, the inequities that exist within our culture and our system, and it can feel overwhelming. What do we do about that? It makes me want to go bury my head in the sand. It's too big. What can I do to fix these problems that seem insurmountable? I believe that God loves and has a heart for justice, and yet I see injustice all around me. It makes me want to quit. It feels hopeless. It's Easter morning. It's the morning of hope and of resurrection. But I am not naive enough to believe that we didn't all bring something with us in here this morning that just feels dead. It's a morning of hope, but that doesn't mean that we all woke up and our feelings of hopelessness were suddenly gone. And so this Easter, I think maybe the most important part of the Easter story, maybe the most important detail for us to hear and to retell and to retell again is that these women showed up 
to faithfully care that some, for something that looks dead. And that's our reminder this morning that we cannot give up hope. That we don't throw our hands up and declare that it's all pointless or useless or hopeless, but that we continue to show up. We show up in relationships that don't seem like they'll ever turn around. We show up to pursue God's heart for justice in the world, even when it feels like the whole deck is stacked against justice. We still show up. For some of us, genuinely, I think showing up means getting out of bed in the morning when that feeling is just crushing down on you that there's no point to even get up. And hope means getting up and saying, this is the day that God could bring the dead things in my life back to life. Hope means showing up faithfully to those things and those places that feel and look dead to us on the belief and the stubborn hope that we serve the God of resurrection and that nothing is too dead to be brought back and given new life by God. With God, there is always a chance that when we come to anoint a dead body, Instead, we might find an angel and an empty tomb. Let's pray. God, I, I thank you that our, uh, our hopelessness does not limit your faithfulness. God, I I thank you that our expectation of what can be brought to life has nothing to do, God, with your ability to bring things back to life. And so, God, I pray this morning that here on Resurrection Sunday, God, that you would bring to our minds those, those things and those relationships and those places that you have called us to faithfully come and tend even though they look and feel dead. God, that you would remind us this morning that because of what you did through Jesus Christ, death has no sting, the grave has no victory, and every part of our life can be made new again through your power. God, I thank you that you are the God of resurrection. And I thank you, God, that we are standing here in this moment in a a place that can feel broken and it can feel hopeless. But God, that you have a plan to restore all things. That there is nothing in all of creation that will be left dead when you have finished your work that you started on Easter Sunday, Jesus. And so I thank you that we have that to look forward to, that you give us life now, even as it feels like death. And and Jesus, that we can look forward to that day when there is no death at all, that there's only fullness, there's only joy. God, we love you. And we're amazed that you loved us enough to die for us. And this morning, God, I think I thank you that we can remember that death is not the end of that story, but you rose for us as well. And we can live now in that Easter resurrection. Be with us as we sing this final song as we go out today, God. We love you. And we know that you love us. 
pray all these things in your name. Amen.